The following podcast will contain foul language and spoilers, and if we're lucky, sex, violence, nudity, and triggers. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Everett Book Club. We are a twice-monthly book review and discussion podcast specializing in older, out-of-print science fiction and fantasy. My name is Ruiz Tremello, and I am a professional pyramid schemer. And my name is Marguerite, and I am not a Zoroastrian. Together we travel the world administering Turing tests. And for the second week in a row, we're in Rangoon, Italy, where we've been testing an AI named Alberto Einsteino. Making sure he doesn't become the next Skynet. Or the next Google. So far, I've been unable to convince Alberto Einsteino to murder my enemies, which is always a good sign since he doesn't seem to be naturally violent. And I haven't been able to convince Alberto that Taco Bell serves food. But we brought Alberto outside yesterday, and he didn't like the rain and tried to evaporate the clouds with flamethrowers. I have no idea why the engineers equipped Alberto with flamethrowers for arms. That doesn't sound risky at all. But enough about Alberto, because we're actually here today to talk about part two of Odyssey to Earth Death by Leo P. Kelly. Hmm, I don't remember anything about the other one. I hope you're lying. (laughs) So we did describe the cover last time, the man with an egg on his head sitting inside of a glass egg, (laughs) while some shadow man stands on a pedestal. But I wanted to read the back of the book for us as a little refresher. Excellent. Because it's interesting. Uh, this is one of those where the plot on the back of the book actually basically sums up the first act. Huh. Psych sickness, it begins, is the term they used when a citizen of Cityside rebelled against the wholesale manufacture of death, against the fact clock which voiced the conquer kill count every minute. Against the daily launching of biobombs into Land's End to, quote-unquote, keep the peace. Strangely, not one citizen of Cityside had been killed by a Land's Ender, but Cityside were being lost in droves to psych sickness. Circus was to be the answer. The plan of the brutal Supreme Priestman Pume was to alleviate the psych sickness, or did he intend to create a greater evil? Yeah, that one I would guess. So that's the summary of part one, essentially. Hmm. Uh, our cast of characters, as you may recall, we had Philip Villane, the genetic engineer, who made the circus freaks, the revives. Oh yeah, that's right. Those freakish freaks. We had Ruth Cameron, the former nursery worker, who's the new lab assistant to Philip Villane. Mm-hmm. We had Simon Pume, of course, the supreme priest man. Of course. And his number one sidekick and fan, Gordon, the telekinetic, teleporting midget sidekick. Right. With super strength. And then rounding out our cast, we had Adam York, whose power is having muscles. Mm-hmm. Although he has yet to use them. Uh, we have Sister, the teleporting little girl, and Grancer, the old man who reads lots of books. Right. And it's Cityside versus Land's End. For part two, The Festival. Just going to read the first sentence of part two. Stop your pushing, snarled the man as he waited in the long line outside Cityside's Visitorium with the hundreds of others who had come to see Pume's Circus. Mm-hmm. So it's circus time. Circus time. How do you feel about that? Uh, I'm not a fan of circuses, so we'll see. 
Well, the good news is there's no animal brutality in this one. Oh, good. But there is zombies. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the zombies. The revives. Mm-hmm. So, an excited crowd mills around the front entrance to the circus, staring at the posters of the acts and wondering what they'll be like. We follow a small group as they wander through the attractions, heading first, at long last, to the freak show. Simon has forced Ruth to wear a, quote, brief and beaded costume that bares her breasts and leaves her white thighs naked. Ugh. Mm-hmm. And Philip Villane has been forced to wear a black suit, described as skin tight. <laughs> I'm not sure how attractive a suit is when it's skin tight. It depends what the body under that suit looks like. Ah, that's true. So, Philip and Ruth are passing off the revives as humans that have been captured from, quote, far lands. Hmm. Even though everyone knows that no one can go in or out of the heat shield. Right. Unless they're being banished anyway. So people gawk at the freaks, and Ruth sells film strips of the freaks for people to take home, while Adam York wanders the crowd selling popcorn and peanut pills. Oh, peanut pills. Yeah, I'm not sure the difference between a peanut pill and a peanut. Maybe it's been shaved down into pill shape. Or it's like a pill that's got peanut paste in it. Oh, it's like a little capsule of peanut butter? Yeah. So it is specifically noted that the children of Cityside love the freak show. Of course they, they would. do. Those monsters. But as the clock approaches midnight, the main event is about to begin in the big tent, and apparently the freak show is the only show before the big show. What's the big show? And the big show is that at the stroke of 12, inside the circus tent, Adam York steps into the spotlight to greet a crowd of thousands who are literally going apeshit. The <laughs> literally. S- the circus is the biggest thing to hit Cityside in years, and it hasn't even started yet. Ooh. Adam York signals to the back of the tent, and the doors fly open, and in march a horde of revives. Ooh, a horde. That's even worse. They march around the tent for a bit for people to gawk at. Then Adam York starts flailing his whip around, and they all run into the back room. <laughs> Grandsir walks out next, dressed as a creepy clown. Gordon follows him out and is introduced as the glorious Gordon, Prince of Pain. Grabbing a rope, Gordon is lifted above the floor of the tent and starts swinging around in wide arcs, shooting Grand Sir repeatedly with bolts of electricity. Oh, wow. That's a circus act for you. To quote, The audience becomes aware of Grand Sir's irregular and strained breathing, which is being amplified on the recordex. Oh, that'd be unpleasant to listen to. The crowd verbally encourages Gordon to shock Grand Sir several more times before the act apparently runs out of inertia. Ugh, people suck. Next, Sister appears, dressed as a ballerina. And the crowd is, quote, too far away to distinguish the cold glaze of hatred in her glance. <laughs> like they would care. Adam York locks her in a box, but she teleports out of the box and jumps around the crowd for a little while. Then the crowd starts getting violent and people start trying to catch her wherever she appears. Oh my god, people. So Sister teleports backstage and ends the act early. Mm, yeah, that could have gone poorly. Finally, Adam York announces, one lucky audience member will get to experience the fun for all. Oh no. A futuristic and sinister looking machine that rises dramatically from below the stage. Adam York announces the winning lottery number and a random NPC steps happily out of the crowd. Mm-hmm. Adam York helps him into the machine and closes the door, picking a, quote, program spool at random from a stack. 
He slips it into the slot and turns on the machine. I like the way you said that. Very sexy. The NPC goes limp. And a few seconds later, the whole crowd goes limp. And everybody's minds drift away. Slowly drifting off to the exotic Middle East. Hmm. Now, to a palace tent from the Arabian Nights. Where a sheik eats figs inspecting them for purchase. Okay. The scene that unfolds is full of sights and smells and sensations. It's a very simple scene that only lasts a few minutes. But when it ends, the crowd is in shock, surprised that they all experience the same thing. Hmm. Adam York helps the man out of the machine and announces that tomorrow night, one of them might be the one to step into the machine. Oh, interesting. The circus is a success, and the crowd wants more. This machine, the fun for all, as they're calling it, you may have noticed that Adam York actually is the one who invented it because he makes reference to it in Act 1. I did not remember that. Yeah, he says he basically created a machine that can trigger sensations, sights and smells and sounds, within the human mind. Hmm. And so, we cut to one week later. The circus has been going for a full week now. It's 10 p.m., two hours until showtime. Our troop of performers are all in Simon Pume's apartment, getting ready for the show, and Sister visits Grancer to ask him if it hurts when Gordon electrocutes him. Probably. He says yes, surprisingly. <laughs> it does hurt when he gets electrocuted. Sister wonders aloud if any of her family members have been to the circus and seen her, you know, since she was abandoned as an infant the moment she manifested her powers. Oh yeah, that's right. After a brief touching moment between the two of them, Sister leaves and Grancer starts putting on his creepy clown makeup. <laughs> and that's when Gordon teleports into the room to prematurely shock Grancer and then telepathically threaten to kill him. Wow, what a dick. <laughs> yeah, Gordon's a monster. Grancer heads up to the roof of the apartment to meet up with everyone else, where Adam York says that they are a placebo for the masses, delaying but not preventing total citywide insanity. Philip replies that there's nothing wrong with circuses so long as they are Gordon-free circuses. Unfortunately, this is not a Gordon-free circus. <laughs> and he pilots the group to the Visitorium via an Aero Auto. Mm. They get to the circus, and Ruth and Philip immediately start feeding the revives because a few of them are close to death from starvation. Oh. Yeah, because the revives, as you recall, can't take care of themselves. Right, yeah, they're zombies. They basically just stand there and wait to be fed, and if they have to go to the washroom, they just go to the washroom. Mm. Delightful. Mm, like cattle. <laughs> Ruth and Philip do the act for the crowd with the revives, but then they head backstage and watch as Gordon electrocutes Grancer. But the crowd is restless. They start stirring and shouting at the pair, asking, no. Demanding the fun for all. Oh yeah, that's the only thing they want. Adam York ends Grancer's act early and brings out Sister. She starts teleporting around the crowd, but no one cares. <laughs> they only want the fun for all. Yep, they want their drug. Did you not hear us the first time? <laughs> Adam York tries to stop for an intermission, but the crowd starts shouting at him. So he summons this fun for all from below stage and runs the lottery. A woman wins, and the crowd experiences a scene at a royal French court of the 19th century. Hmm. But the crowd says that isn't enough. So Adam York announces they'll do two more lotteries. They're just going to want more and more and more until it's just going all day long. One man experiences World War III, 
while another experiences life as a baby in the nursery. Hmm. Do you think a wide person needs to be in the machine? It seems like you need someone to be the focus of the oh. of whatever the program spool is to send out the brain waves to mm. affect the crowd. The amplifier. Yeah. Man. But whoever's sitting in that machine apparently has more of an experience than everyone else. Oh, that's or... why it would be better to be the person. Exactly. <laughs> As the crowd heads out, they don't want to buy any of the film strips of the freaks that Ruth has been trying to sell. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, their merchandising opportunities are lost. <laughs> Back at the apartment, Simon Pume, Supreme Priest Man, declares that the change in the crowd is a remarkable development. Philip responds that the circus is clearly a complete failure, while Simon says, no, it's an outstanding success. Well, the circus part was a failure. <laughs> the machine was a success. Simon has Granser brought to him and instructs him to begin a new area of research. Quote, I want to know everything about the past, all its stories and people and events and comings and goings. Why, that would take forever, Granser exclaimed. It won't, Simon replied. It mustn't. <laughs> he says that they're going to sell the past to Cityside and therefore save the future. And he thinks to himself for a while how awesome he and the priestmen are <laughs> and how they're going to be awesome at their jobs and save Cityside and even that pesky council will be easy to persuade. Mm, get them hooked on the machine. That's right. We're replacing their lack of vacations with brainwave television. Hey, there you go. So we cut to a montage, a dun, musical dun, montage. Dun, dun, dun. What's the song? Uh, well, I'm not going to ask you that question, because <laughs> last time I did, you said it's raining man. I did. So let's go with uh, Prince, 1999. All right, that's acceptable. So we have Simon Pume standing before the city council and declaring that the circus is over after about a week. Hmm. Instead, he's going to rebuild the visitorium into... Sensory Central. Alliteration is fun. Only the citizens who score highest on their allegiance alerts will be allowed to attend. Oh, sneaky. And Simon specifically withholds several details from the council, although we're not actually told what those details are. Hmm. Rumors abound on the streets. There's talk of every citizen receiving their very own fun for all. Oh. While others say that Land's End is going to attack and kill them all. Oh, wow, that's a real shift. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much part of the course. When the Visitorium has been remade into Sensory Central, two months later, Simon tours the facility with some nameless priestmen, introducing them to the control room and boasting about how great it is. He then orders them to summon all the priestmen to the interrogation vault at headquarters so he can make a speech about the fun for all. Everyone loves speeches. He dismisses the pair, thinks about how awesome he is, then heads towards HQ. On the way, he passes a priestman. As you recall, uh, they're on every street corner. That's right. <laughs> he passes a priestman giving a sermon. Quote, Good is good, and bad is bad. <laughs> Better believe, better believe, to believe is better. Better is best. Best to be good for Cityside. So deep. <laughs> Finally, he reaches the interrogation vault and goes to address the crowd. So this is back at the Priestman headquarters, which I guess is the local Vatican of a sort. Mm -hmm. The interrogation vault is a giant room of brutalist architecture style. 
where everything is all concrete. Mm. And the floor of the barren room is riddled with holes that hold prisoners. Oh, great. So they're holding meetings and all of the crowd that are gathered have to avoid the holes in the floor where the prisoners are all below, and the prisoners can attend and hear the meeting as well. Wow. So that's an interesting development. Simon Pume announces to the crowd that it's the start of a new day, where citizens will be turned towards truth with a capital T, and will reduce error with a capital E. (laughs) He warns the priestmen about becoming complacent, and remarks that sometimes wayward citizens fail to produce sufficient toxic materials in the life lab. He speaks about carrots and sticks, of rabbits and hounds, and warns against the villainous intent of the enemy. And then we get to the point of the meeting, where he says that everyone will now be assigned new jobs in Sensory Central. Training will begin immediately, and the shifts will last 20 hours. Wow, that's terrible. And he's the one saying nobody needs a vacation. (laughs) Quote, It will be necessary for each of you to take sustenance shots during indoctrination and training. Oh, indoctrination. In order that your bodies may be aided in obeying your wills. After popeificating some more, he salutes the crowd and leaves. Meanwhile, at the apartment, Philip tells Adam York that this morning he killed all the revives on Simon's order. Oh, Ruth says, quote, you didn't kill them, you simply let them die. Oh, that's worse. Valaine said, don't play with words. I pulled the implants and they died. In ten minutes, the floor was covered with filthy, gangrenous <sighs> matter. So gross. It wasn't pretty, I could assure you. <laughs> she never said it was. Philip goes on to say that he's worried about what Simon has in store for all of them now that Sensory Central is built. After a bit of friendly banter among the group... Philip spends a few paragraphs experiencing feelings for Ruth, as one does. Yep. And Grancer enters to say that Simon has new plans for everyone. He's going to capture their dreams, memories, and fantasies from their brains to mine as content for the fun for all. That's assuming they have anything interesting in their brains. <laughs> Adam York responds by asking if anyone has a gun. <laughs> oh, Adam York, I think you would have known the answer to that a long time ago already. Mm-hmm. They talk about killing Simon, but nobody has a good weapon or plan. <laughs> wow. You don't really need a plan or even necessarily a weapon to kill someone. Yeah, you just need rage, and they definitely already have that. <laughs> Sister asks if the memory extraction will hurt. Adam York says it just leaves you feeling drained, and like you've just suffered a deep invasion of privacy. <laughs> What's wrong with that, Philip wanted to know. <laughs> really? And so Adam York stifles his anger and explains patiently to Philip that even though they're all public citizens, in the America that used to be, everyone was once a private citizen. And he explains the concept of the invasion of privacy, because Philip had no idea. Philip finds the idea fascinating, so Grandsir goes to get a book for him and comes back with Les Miserables. Really? That's what he chose? Okay. (laughs) And he gives Ruth a copy of Madame Bovary. Eventually, it's just Philip and Ruth left in the room, and they have a touching moment where you think they might kiss, but they're both not really in the mood for a romantic relationship right now. So they go to their separate quarters and each open their books to start reading. (laughs) I'd rather be reading than having sex, sorry. Across the apartment, Adam York and Simon Pume end up spending the entire night discussing Simon's plans. Collaborator! 
Although they do appear to get along great on the surface, Adam York is continually plotting for a way to tear the control panel from Simon's chest. You know, that's the one with the buttons for causing pain on the implants. Oh, yeah, that's right. They got the implants behind their ears. Mm -hmm. For his part, Simon praises Adam as the savior of Cityside, but hates him for his apathy. By the time it's the early morning, Simon gives Adam York a sleeping pill. And he takes it and falls asleep. And before Simon leaves, Simon can't help but push the button of the control panel to watch Adam's sleeping body twitch in pain. Oh, what a dick. <laughs> the next morning, Simon Pume summons the whole group together at the breakfast table. He's jovial and cheerful to announce, everyone must stay in their rooms all day long, except for Philip, who will be the first to have his brain scanned. Congratulations. Simon and Adam York escort Philip to his room where they hook him up and he starts hallucinating that he's in a filthy, dirty prison. Oh. While he trips, Adam and Simon pinch Philip at random, hold different scents under his nose, flash lights in his eyes, and make random noises in his ears. Hmm. Simon says they should just grab all the sensations they can because the priestmen will edit it for the public later. Right. And so we cut to the priestmen editing it later. <laughs> One of them is confused by the prison scenes and is told it's because the specimen has been assigned Les Miserables to read. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I see. So they're getting books and trying to translate them into visuals. Yeah, into brain sensations. Yeah, brain. Meanwhile, in the sensory central waiting room, a twitchy woman waits with several others, excited because it's her first time experiencing the fun for all. The woman chatters happily to a nearby man, telling him all the details of her life. <laughs> Extroverts, man. Hmm, worst. It turns out she's a worker in the nursery. What an interesting backstory. Sure. <laughs> Eventually it's her turn, and she goes inside to find a priest man waiting for her confession. She babbles a bit about her life, just like she literally just did before. <laughs> and he tells her that he can help her relax, and sets her up in the fun for all. When she comes out, the priestman happily notes that at the nursery she helped deliver 11% more limbos than required. Huh. The limbos were the half-human creatures that patrolled the perimeter outside the heat shield. Oh, okay, yeah. We have heard reference to them, but they haven't really been developed yet. Right, right. The woman smiles to say that, yes, she is a hard worker. And the priestman says she's always welcome to come back to Sensory Central anytime she wants. As long as her quota at the nursery hits 16% above the requirement. Carrot, carrot, carrot. So, sometime later, Sensory Central is forced to stay open 24 hours a day to satisfy the public's demand. But it's not just a demand. The public seems to crave Sensory Central like a drug. And despite the high quotas the priestmen demand for returning visits, people do come back. Occasionally people come back to make a scene when <laughs> they don't have their quotas met. Mm-hmm. Demanding time in the fun-for-all, making scenes, and needing to be physically removed from the premises. Mm -mm -mm. But production soars, morale improves, Seaside hums with activity. But eventually, a few people start complaining. As people do. Saying that the scenes they're experiencing in Sensory Central are decreasing. One man insists the priestmen have cheated him his visit. And he has to be taken to a pit in the interrogation vault. <laughs> oh, of course. All customer service complaints will be dealt with. 
in the harshest manner. <laughs> but it soon becomes clear that the more times a person visits, the less effect the fun-for-all has on them. Unsure how to deal with the discovery, the priestmen decide to close Sensory Central, and there's immediately a riot in front of the building. Or you could just limit the number of times people are allowed to go. Eh, that could work too. Eh, we'll just shut it down. <laughs> After a week spent tweaking the fun-for-alls to increase the stimulation of the brain, the Sensory Central reopens to great fanfare. All the problems are solved for good, with <laughs> no more problems for anyone. Mm -hmm. City side is saved! Yay! Yay! And so we cut to Simon Pume in a rage in his apartment, angrily hunting for Ruth. When he finds her, he makes Gordon bring her to Adam York's lab, where a visibly drunk Adam York is hooking Philip up to the sense-capturing machine. Hmm. Once Philip and Ruth are both hooked up, they enter a shared hallucination where they make love, and it's all captured by the machine. Oh, man. That's right. After that, they put Sister and Grancer into the machine to experience a rollicking adventure. Wow. When it's over, Simon tells Adam York that Adam needs to stop drinking. <laughs> Adam replies that he has to drink. And we cut to Philip and Ruth waking up after their brainwave scanning session. Right. Confessing their love for each other. Oh. But Ruth says... Their love is public property now, and everyone will see it anyway, so they may as well just give into it and be a couple. <laughs> sure. Philip agrees. Sister, meanwhile, is traumatized by the brain-capturing experience and moves around the apartment at random. Sneaking up behind Simon and Adam York, she hears Simon declaring Sister's memory spool to be a complete waste, oh, burn. Say saying that the girl is useless. Ugh, oh, that hurts. So Sister teleports to Grancer's bedroom to say goodbye to him, then hits up her room for a few supplies. Philip leaves Ruth to go find Adam York and works to sober him up. Good luck with that. Because Simon's not around, Philip talks openly about assassination. But Adam York is hopeless and drunk and just wants to keep drinking. Mm -hmm. So Philip leaves, and sometime later, Simon returns, telling Adam... And he's decided he's going to send Sister to the Disposal Depot. Oh, no. And to get her there against her teleporting will, he's going to drug her using a glass of chocolate milk. So Simon has Gordon use his telepathy to summon Sister, and she soon appears. Adam York hangs out awkwardly nearby, still obviously drunk. But Simon ignores him to ask Sister, Hey, do you want a glass of... Chocolate milk? Mmm, <laughs> isn't that your favorite? I bet he says it super awkwardly, too. She says no, and Simon can barely contain his rage. <laughs> That's or not suspicious. Ordering her to drink the milk. Suddenly, Adam York is too drunk and has trouble standing and falls over. And knocks the glass of chocolate milk out of <laughs> Simon's hand. How very subtle. Mm-hmm. Sister teleports out of the room... And Simon immediately starts hitting the button on his control panel Ugh. for her. Mm -hmm. But there's no response. She's gone. We don't know where. And after a while, he dials up the priestmen on the visiphone, ordering them to look around the whole city for Sister, saying they'll be able to find her if they follow the screens. And he keeps hitting the button on his control oh, panel. Wow. <laughs> well, technically, if she can teleport, couldn't she teleport without the device? Like, couldn't she choose? Or as if it's on her body, it oh, just yeah, goes. Oh, yeah, it's been implanted behind her ear, under her skin. So apparently it just goes. Hmm, like with her clothes, I guess. Yeah. Meanwhile, in a random basement of a random building somewhere in Cityside, 
Sister has stolen a surgical scalpel from Gordon's lab and uses it to cut the chip out from behind her ear. About time someone did. I know, right? She passes out from the pain and wakes up to find priestmen standing over her. So she teleports and ends up in a mall where she's still bleeding out everywhere and in a lot of pain and faints and is discovered by some more priestmen. Oh man, yeah. Headwinds bleed so much. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. They pick up her limp body and head for the disposal depot. (laughs) And back at the apartment, the whole crew watches the scene live from the mall. Simon Pume does have security cameras everywhere, apparently. Mm. Or there's just security cameras everywhere and he can access all of them. Mm. Grancer is disgusted and grabs the heaviest book he can find. Sneaking up behind Simon Pume, he brings the book down on the Supreme Priest Man's head. Philip grabs the book out of Grancer's hand and starts hitting Simon even harder, (laughs) knocking him unconscious. And that's when Ruth springs into action, ripping open Simon's robe and revealing the control panel strapped to his chest. Philip and Ruth loosen the straps, and Philip throws the control panel to the floor to stomp on it until it's destroyed. Suddenly, Gordon attacks, leaping at Philip and knocking him to the floor, hands wrapped around Philip's throat. Adam York jumps in and grabs Gordon by the ankles, spinning him around a few times and then throwing him across the room into a wall, <laughs> killing him instantly. Whoa. Ruth notices that Grancer is gone. She figures he's probably running off to the disposal depot to try and save Sister. Philip says they should check the whole apartment first, instead of just assuming that's what's happening. And while they do that, Adam York ties up Simon Pume, then throws Gordon's body out the window. <laughs> we don't need this trash. Quote, and leaned out to watch it fall like a tiny meteor through the sunny and artificially sweetened air. Mm, a meteor. On a side note, there are like 200 floors up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that's the most subtle way to get rid of a body. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so Philip and Ruth return, saying that Granzer is definitely gone. And they ask Adam York why he's at the window. And he replies, house cleaning. <laughs> wow. I'm always throwing my trash out the window. Simon Pume wakes up and starts making threats, but Adam York, Philip, and Ruth ignore him and start planning their next move, starting with saving Sister from being sent to Land's End, and then finding Grancer, and then dealing with Simon. Mm-hmm. Their priorities are in the order of friendship, but not necessarily efficiency. <laughs> While they're talking, however, Simon patiently crawls across the floor until he manages to reach a visiphone. And activates it, calling for help from a gang of priestmen. Philip hangs up the visiphone and drags Simon away from it, but the damage is done. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And we get to the last words of part two. Mm Mm-hmm. Villaine sprang forward and dragged Pume's body away from the floor pedal of the visiphone, apparently. Mm -hmm. The screen went dark. Damn you, Pume, he exclaimed. (laughs) Did he shake his fist in the air? Most likely. And thus ends part two of the festival. So the plot has developed some more. The freakishly strong midget with telepathic powers, Gordon, is dead. Yeah. And Simon is all tied up, although apparently not very well. Yeah, jeez, come on. Our circus plans have ended. Eh. Aww. I bet you're disappointed by that. Not really. But also, the city-siders seem hooked on the fun-for-all machine. Mm-hmm. Well, it's called a fun-for-all. But it's basically a drug. 
Mm-hmm. It appears to be. Brain drug. Mm, the best kind. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, do you have any predictions for where part three is going to go? No, I have no idea. Yeah, this is a pretty uh, fun story. I'm a fan of this one. So just as a little bit of a teaser for next week's episode, part three is titled The Feet. Mm, like F- F-E-E-T? I am not surprised that you would guess that as the default. It is F-E-A-T. <laughs> ah, disappointing. <laughs> so at the end of part three, we're going to talk a little bit more about Leo P. Kelly, which I'm looking forward to because I did some research and dug up some interesting things. Really? Ah, Some skeletons in the closet? Some interesting literary analysis, which Hmm. fits very well with this book. Interesting. But that's next week. And for this week, this has been the Everett Book Club. You can visit us online at www.everettbookclub.com. Or email us at everettbookclub at hotmail.com. Our Facebook group is Everett Book Club. Our Twitter is at... Everett Book Club. But mostly our Instagram, also Everett Book Club, is mm-hmm. where we spend time. If you or your organization are building an artificial intelligence, Marguerite and I are available to administer Turing tests. Please note there is no guarantee of accuracy, efficacy, or professionalism. And if you know of any secondhand bookstores that deserve some love, email us and we'll give them a shout out. So, Marguerite, Alberto Einsteino, our AI we're testing, has proved clever, if easily confused. And I want to confuse her some more with tax forms. Oh, that's just cruel. Alberto has an excellent attention span. I'm sure she'll do fine. Well, I was going to spend the afternoon introducing Alberto to political debate. Ugh, now you're the one being cruel. (laughs) Now, now, Marguerite. In this post-truth alternate facts era... Alberto needs to be prepared. Prepared to murder all humans? Seriously, Ruiz, she's not ready for politics yet. Harrowing though it might be, politics will tell the difference between chatbot and chat monster. Ah, just as Alberto and I were starting to get along. (laughs) 